How you doing? We're just going to get started here. We're going to start out with our live, our share screen with our introduction. Hi, this is Jim from Sing Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Friday, February 2nd, 2024. Where did January go? Where did Jim go for the last week? We had some situations come up. That's what's going on. We had some situations. One day, we'll be able to, one day we'll be able to discuss that. Okay, I'm getting some feedback. Let's see. How's everybody doing out there? Now we're not getting feedback. Okay, there we go. We're good. 
I hate the echo. Feels like I'm on CBS FM out of New York, the old one. Where have I been? I'm, uh, we had situations, like I said. We had uh, big situations. One day I'll be able to talk about all of these situations, but not right now. Anyway, our last program here was Alec Baldwin. Right? Uh, the whole Rust uh, thing going on there. I want to say hello to everybody out there on Rumble. We're getting a lot of views out there on Rumble. And on Brighteon, along with all the other ones out there, I appreciate everybody uh, doing their uh, thing to help support the program. Today I gave a safety training class. I had a couple of people who are listeners come and uh, they listen to Safety FM. They also listen to this show. So, Mike, uh, you're out there. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, Frank, you're, thanks for the feedback. And uh, John, thanks for the feedback. I really uh, appreciate it and all the encouraging encouragement. So this is the last month of season three of Safety Wars. We're going to be moving on to season four uh, in March. It's been one hell of a ride here. Where uh, again, if you are want to, you can contact with me eight four five two six nine five seven seven two. Or Jim at safetywords.com. You could also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I had some folks le- reach out to me on LinkedIn this week. Uh, you know, I'm uh, open to all different sorts of work. And of course, if you're looking to advertise here and sponsor some programs, give us a call. We'd appreciate it. Uh, the other uh, thing. So we had uh, discussed, like I said, Alec Baldwin, the last Why we keep on talking about Alec Baldwin? I'm just fascinated by this whole thing especially since it was a workplace accident anyway any way you look at it and the way that they manage it and the issues that are coming up just remember all these things that uh, are going on here started with a workplace accident a workplace fatality not allegedly and again i'm going to say allegedly allegedly not doing a lot of requirements out there that you have to uh, under ocean even in the movie industry we're going to have an interview coming up and the next month uh, on someone who's an expert on safety in the movie industry. And uh, we'll be discussing it. So this happened on Wednesday of this week. Alec Baldwin pleaded not guilty Wednesday of involuntary manslaughter of cinematographer Helena Hutchins during filming on the movie Rust in 2021. According to multiple reports, after the actor was indicted earlier this month, Baldwin pleaded not guilty. The new charge in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he was initially charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter that were eventually dropped last year. Now, the inside story here is this: here, there, you know, there is an inside story. So, well, what kind of inside story? Well, there is an inside story. Al Baldwin, right? Everything's, uh, and again, an insurance policy. Generally speaking. Now, I'm not not an insurance guy. I'm an insurance policy. uh, 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 No, will not cover you for criminal acts. Right? Will not cover, just won't. Right? There is an exemption. So you cannot cause something that's a criminal act and then say, well, I have an insurance policy. I'm sure out there there are companies that would insure you, but it's similar to the. 
New, uh, uh, New York State, pardon me, with the scaffold law. Yeah, you can have an insurance policy to protect you under scaffold law stuff. And if you're from New New York, you know what that is. Uh, I looked into it, and uh, my insurance agent, who had, was been on the program, Don Becker, said it's actually pretty simple. It's uh, basically your gross. Uh, the uh, the uh, premium is your gross receipts from last year. I said, wow. You said, yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure, you know, that nobody wants, it's very difficult to get insurance in that area. So why do I mention this? Alec Baldwin was worth, is reportedly worth uh, from celebritynetworth.com, quoted at $70 million. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but he's been very successful in his career. And those that I'm looking at other stuff seem like 65, 70 million. Now, do you think, and this is a commentary on our legal system here, do you think that a prosecutor is going to want to prosecute you if they know that you have millions of dollars. This is the way it is. And you can afford the attorneys. Does a prosecutor know want to do that? A local prosecutor like this. Right? Maybe a state case, right? Capital murder. That's something in the state of Mexico New Mexico. Especially for something that has a minimal criminal uh, 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 penalty. Something I've heard some things like five years. In jail, one guy already went, uh, you know, basically a suspended sentence. Another gentleman. And are you, uh, so you have a five year sentence for, you know, again, he killed, uh, you know, he allegedly did something that killed someone, according to the prosecutor. Alleged. Now, what, uh, now five years in jail or whatever, something like that, or maybe a very, now now you're a prosecutor and you're going to have someone who's able to, well, 65, $70 million worth, according to uh, most accounts here. He's going to spend, he'll he'll spend $5 million on an attorney to fight this. I'm just speculating. Now you're an attorney, prosecutor, now you have to go against Someone with $5 million budget who's going to tie this up in court probably because that's part of the game versus what you have. That's going to be your, no, yeah, and they actually had to allocate. And that all comes into probably my speculation, my opinion, why they dropped the case last year was that they had, and I've read a couple of articles that said they had to get their ducks in a row, put everything in, right? No. Ducks, right, in a row, and go out, and now we can afford to prosecute him. That's what I've heard. And again, uh, to my knowledge, with this type of case, uh, there is uh, a lot of times not a statute of limitations here with this. So that's uh, what they're, they have to deal with and what they're fighting against here with him. So, uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh now, I, we see all of this stuff out there, right? And no, why why law enforcement or why prosecutors do what they do? My opinion, money. If you they know that you're going to fight them, guess what? Not going to happen. Same thing with a lot of regulatory agencies. They're going to make sure that they have an airtight case before they start going after you a lot of times because they know they're going to be tied up 
in court for a long time. That's why a lot of provisions that I think Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. running for president has mentioned this. And not an endorsement, but I heard him on an interview has mentioned this, where a lot of environmental laws, like Clean Water Act is one of them, and there are several other, a private citizen could sue somebody under that if they feel the EPA is not enforcing a law. Right, so they're able to do that. So that you no, know, the environmental industry that is not an uncommon thing uh, with that, where you have private individuals suing. So because the government doesn't have the resources there. Uh, now we're going to go over. So that's Alec Baldwin. Number one. Number two is this. The uh, we're going to go over bipolar disorders. Right. And uh, we are big on our network with uh, mental health. So I'm going to say this right off the bat with this. And if you watch our introduction on the video streamers here, you saw this. If you or someone you know are experiencing feelings of suicide or have other crises, call or text 988 or go to 988life.org. Now, uh, there is also another thing that we're going to be putting in here. To learn more about bipolar disorders, go to mentalhealthhotline.org or the Bipolar Health Hotline at 866-903-3787. We're going to talk about this because there's a lot of people out there. Uh, now, we talk about workplace stress. We talk about Work all different workplaces and mental health. We talked about on this program psychopathy and other personality disorders, but we never talked about this uh, with uh, bipolar disorder. And more people have bipolar disorder than you would think. Uh, it's uh, stigmatized to a large uh, degree in our society, and it precludes people, my experience, from actually getting the help that they need. And the other thing is this. Uh, no, uh, uh, here, I'm trying to make sure we're on the video stream here. No, and the, uh, a, lot, a lot of people, no, no, they don't seek treatment. Families are embarrassed by this because there is a genetic component to a lot of this stuff. And it's a problem. It's a problem. People don't receive treatment and it's un misunderstood. And it's believed that a lot of the veterans out there do have mental health disorders uh, that are leading to some of these suicides and other things out there. Now, this uh, right, uh, so bipolar disorder, uh, they used to call this uh, manic depression and things of that nature. Uh, and they had uh, some other terms, but they call it bipolar, right? Just like the old George Carlin line, things get more complicated as we go on with the terms here. So our uh, so uh, the mental health hotline dot org, no eight six six nine zero three three seven eight seven, and our bipolar disorder hotline is always here to offer you guidance, support, and empathy. We don't see you as damaged, broken, or beyond assistance. Whether you have a formal diagnosis or think you may have a bipolar disorder. We want to guide you to the right treatment. This is from mentalhealth.org. Every year, approximately 5.7 million 
Americans, which accounts for about 2.6% of the uh, population, grapple with bipolar disorder. I'm wondering if all of the craziness we're seeing out there in the last couple of years is related to this. The condition can have a significant impact on a person's life, disrupting their daily activities and diminishing their overall well-being. Seeking treatment for bipolar disorder begins with open and sincere communication among individuals affected by the condition, their families, and healthcare providers. Unfortunately, a considerable number, as high as 51% of those with bipolar disorder, choose not to pursue treatment due to either a lack of insurance coverage or the fear of facing social stigma. Right. Uh, why you may be, why you may need it. Right. This sort of outline going on. Uh, so here's some other statistics. 5.7 million adults with bipolar uh, disorder. The standard median age of onset of bipolar disorder is 25 years. However, the illness can start in early childhood or late 40s and 50s. Bipolar disorder has a heritable component, meaning genetic, which with over two-thirds of those with the condition having at least one relative with the illness. Males and females share the statistically right, about the same amount, 2.8, 2.9. Untreated bipolar disorder can reduce the expected lifespan by 9.2 years. People with bipolar disorder have a higher risk of suicide. Studies reveal 15 to 17% of those affected committing suicide. Right? Why? Uh, all different problems with that. Bipolar disorder is a mental health condition that causes significant shifts in mood, marked by periods of heightened emotions, a.k.a. mania or hypomania, which is why they called manic, right? and periods of low mood, known as depression. That's why they call it manic depression in years gone by. During your lows, you may lose interest and pleasure in your usual activities. When your moods are lifted, you may feel euphoric and full of energy. Extreme mood swings can affect sleep, behavior, judgment, and ability to think objectively. Causes. The exact cause of bipolar disorder remains unknown, but studies suggest a combination of physical, environmental, and social factors enhances the risk of developing the condition. Common experiences that could trigger, trigger bipolar disorder include childhood trauma, such as neglect, abuse, dramatic event, or losing a loved one, stressful life events, such as money worries and poverty, a relationship breakdown, or work pressure. Brain chemistry that interferes with neurotransmitters, genetics, uh, use, use of some medications, such as drugs and alcohol. That could be legal or illegal drugs and alcohol. Types of, I'll, I added that one, all right, because we had a program on that a couple weeks ago. Bi to to okay, Siri, be quiet. Bipolar disorders can be categorized uh, into types and subtypes based on how an individual is experiencing different moods and symptoms and how severely they affect them. The following are common types of bipolar disorder. Bipolar 1. You may be diagnosed with bipolar 1 if you experience the following symptoms. At least one major episode of mania that lasted for over a week. Major depressive episode lasting two weeks or longer. Bipolar 2. Uh, the manic, manic episode is less severe in bipolar 1. This type of manic episode is called hypomania, a significant episode of depression either before or after a manic episode. You may, a uh, cyclothymic disorder, you may do. Diagnosed with cyclothymic disorder if you have uh, the following symptoms. Hypomania, 
or depression that has lasted for two years or more. Bipolar, uh, right, and one and two are the most prevalent, with bipolar one being characterized by more pronounced severity. Bipolar uh, disorder can be uh, treated with all different types of medications, including mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, antidepressants, and anti-medication, along with psychotherapy. Again, this is all got to be diagnosed. And if you have any of this stuff, suspect you do, you have, you're in crisis, please reach out for help for someone. 866-903-3787 is for the bipolar hotline. I'll give those folks a uh, shout out there. Okay, we're going to go to commercial break. And we're going to uh, come right back at you. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. In an unpredictable world, one voice rises above the chaos. Meet Jim Pozel, a seasoned safety expert who's navigated through some of the most dangerous scenarios from anthrax, explosive cleanups, disasters, and numerous environmental cleanups, and lived to tell the tale. Now, he's bringing his wealth of knowledge, insights, and experiences to you through Safety Wars. From workplace hazards to the hidden dangers in your own home, Jim covers it all. With his engaging storytelling and expert analysis, Safety Wars isn't just a podcast. It's your guide to a safer world. Join Jim Polzel and become part of the Safety Wars revolution. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Safety Wars, your safety is our mission. to a triumphant return. Yes. Right?
okay, we're going right on in to our We're going into our regular news and views here. Uh, hold on. Sound. All right. Our regular news and views here. Uh, miss a lot of that there, Ocean News. A lot of the Ocean News this week. We had a lot of stories, you know, I don't know what their deal is as far as releasing uh, press releases. It seems like the uh, Department of Labor uh, main place, right, the main website, releases a lot more stuff. Now, this is right from Region 2 out here, and I'm going to say this again. Uh, you know, everything, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. Everybody is... Uh, that's basically everyone's innocent until proven guilty. These things are legislative, right... Uh, Legislated, sometimes uh, litigated, vacated, and every other kind of thing. So this is these are proposed uh, uh, violations and proposed citations, not the final thing. All right. So here we have a pro, pro uh, company, Department of Labor, finds New Jersey Transportation Company four hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars after inspectors find workers exposed to safety and health hazards at a Fallsboro site. Paulsboro is across the, from uh, Philadelphia and New Jersey speak. It's uh, around exit two or exit three on the New Jersey Turnpike. OSHA initiated this inspection in, in July 2023 in response to an employee complaint that alleged safety and health deficiencies. So this is a case of employee calling 1-800-321-OSHA or on the website and reporting things. The agency cited the company for one willful violation because they did not Properly maintained safety data sheets for chemicals, including corrosives. Three repeat violations involved the chemical containing labels that were not updated. Therefore, workers were not uh, made aware of the new names of chemicals, IWAS stations that were not properly maintained, and medical evaluations that were not conducted for workers prior to respirator use. So, this would be, if, especially if you're in a transportation company, this would be a perfect program, a perfect section to give them. Say, hey, listen to this guy, Safety Wars. Uh, he's at about 24 minutes after the hour. He talks about this stuff. All right, so uh, let's go and see what this is uh, here. What this do they have? All right, do they have... Uh, Do, do, do. All right, so here we have this. They're not giving the complete thing, but let's see what they got here. Now, usually they uh, give a much more detailed report, and no, they're not doing it. All right, good. Yeah, I, and there's no rhyme or reason for what they do here. So here we have citation one proposed. Medical services and first aid. Uh, this is 1910-151C, where employees are exposed to injurious corrosive materials, suitable facilities for quick drenching or flushing of the eyes and body were not provided within the work area for immediate emergency use. Adjacent to the trailer maintenance bay at such, and this is, was up in Massachusetts, 
On uh, January 2023, and at that time, the employer did not ensure that employees had immediate access to eyewash. Right. And it goes into uh, a whole bunch of stuff, ANSI standards on here. And this was a proposed fine of 4900 and this is uh, $66. And this is um, on the previous time that they were there. And we have number two was Hazard Cascom. 1910-1200, right? Uh, standard, or you have to have HASCOM uh, training, and not only that, but things need to be labeled properly. And uh, here we have another one uh, with a de minimis thing, and this is uh, no SDSs. Now, that according to this story, that's in 2023-2019 on here uh, with this. Now, again... They didn't uh, put up the uh, thing, right? But these are all repeat violations. Now, one of the things that we hear all the time, and it's one of my more common phone calls and consultations, is we were told that we don't have to do have an SDS book by someone in the industry. And it turns out that the SDS books are required for pretty much everywhere, right? Uh, everywhere that I could think of with this. Uh what people get confused about is the community right to know acts with the state laws, because with those have often have uh, similar, very similar requirements, but they have certain thresholds you have to meet in a lot of locations before you do that. And again, check what your local laws are. And this is uh, what it comes down to. The other thing is this, and I, and I'll bring this up again, 1910-134 issues for the respiratory protection standard. Right, the standard says if you're with so many days and this and that, you meet these requirements, you need medical monitoring, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. I'm going to tell you this. If you give someone a respirator, I don't care if it's a filtering face piece respirator or, you know, even some of, the, some of these imitation ones that are not NIOSH approved or anything like that, right? Not NIOSH, but they may be otherwise approved. All of these, uh, you give it to someone, they could have a problem, a big problem. So for I always talk about what I uh, went through with my uh, uh, dear mother-in-law, right, who passed away, and it's hard to believe, three years ago uh, with this, almost three years, where we're at his, her funeral, and someone went up there with an imitation little paper dust mask, Right, you know, they're like a quarter a piece even now, and they put it on at what well, they were a pallbearer. They put it on, and what do you think happened? What happened was they, uh, what ended up happening was they, uh, they, uh, uh, had a seizure and they dropped the coffin. Uh, now when they were coming out of the church, why do I keep bringing this up? Is that this is not on paper, this is reality. If you're going to put some and uh, the dirty little secret uh, out there that nobody likes to talk about is this. The reason why they recommend masks, one of the reasons was rather than N95 respirators for everybody, right? We talk about supply issues. We talk about it. Well, guess what? If it's not NIOSH certified, companies believe that they don't have to give any respiratory protection training, no medical monitoring, no nothing. And you know what? OSHA is not going to say a lot. Who's going to say something? It's going to be workers' comp 
or lawsuits and everything else, right? Torts when people have that kind of situation that we experience. Yeah, you know, an OSHA is not going to go out with and inspect uh, the uh, several hundred million workplaces to try to find out. That, no, they're not going to do that. They'll concentrate on hospitals. They'll concentrate, hey, that don't need N95 medical applications, things of that nature. And the, why do I uh, talk about respirators again? Because anytime now, uh, the medical facilities I've been in in the last week, every one of them have required masks, mandatory, because we have a huge COVID outbreak uh, here. We had a, a situation where uh, a funeral that I know of on Monday in my family, uh, they had a COVID outbreak at the funeral. Big deal. Here, right? So, uh, something to you know, uh, think about here. Now, make sure that you're again, if you're not sure, give us a call 845 269 5772. Our next one U.S. Department of Labor cites Silver Creek plumbing contractor after 34 year old employee's fatal fall and exposure to hydrogen sulfide. So, way back when, uh, when I got involved in the health and safety field, 1992. A former employer of mine uh, got pulled in on a job in South Jersey where a police officer, and there's a plaque dedicated to this police officer uh, where, uh, uh, let me see if I can get his name, uh, South Jersey, uh, 1992. So, uh, um, doesn't say here i i'm not gonna be able uh, to do it i forget the name of the town it was in uh, down the shore as we say where a guy all right uh was and it was a similar thing where they were in a trench and there's a hydrogen sulfide release all right and this apparently is what uh this was here right where we had some type of hydrogen sulfide problem and what ended up happening was the uh, and what ended up happening was the guy was overcome by hydrogen sulfide fe and fell into the uh, uh, fell. Right, a police officer went to get him. This is one in South Jersey 30 years ago, got him out. The next day, the same thing happened, and the police officer went in there and was killed along with the victim. There, right? And now, now remember, this is before. The uh, confined space entries were really understood and regulated by OSHA. And by the way, it's sovereign immunity. So, uh, you know, we all, we've had that conversation here with that, with a police officer and sovereign immunity uh, for health and safety issues like this. So here we have a similar thing happened in U.S. Department of Labor site Silver Creek plumbing contractor. Now, a little bit of background on hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide, it smells like rotten eggs. And now you look under the definition of what does rotten eggs smell like? They smell like hydrogen sulfide or sulfur, right? So uh, if you know it, smell it, you know it. The problem with hydrogen sulfide is that once you get into higher concentrations, you have there's an olfactory inhibitor. It deadens the nose with that. So you may smell it, but once you get over... Uh, a IDLH situation of 100 parts per million or more, you're probably not going to smell it. 
And once you start to get up higher and higher and higher, you're going to hit the explosive range eventually, and there'll be a massive explosion. You can see these on all different industrial accents on YouTube and on other platforms. Now, the permissible exposure limit for hydrogen sulfide is 20 parts per million. That is 20 out of 1 million. Not an awful lot, right? So if you recall, uh, if you figure uh, nitrogen in there is 78,000 parts per million, roughly hydrogen, uh, oxygen at 20.9%. Uh, you add them together, you have a 1%, uh, you have a 1% uh, or to play with or 10,000 parts per millions in there of all different types of stuff. So there's not a lot of uh, room left. Now, once you have an increase in hydrogen sulfide or any other chemical, now you have a potential, especially in an excavation or a permit required or in a confined space, especially a permit required confined space. So now you have the potential of that gas displacing oxygen and other things, right? Which is a dangerous one, which is going to cause a whole bunch of other problems. So that's our background here. So this is out of Rome, Georgia. A Silver Creek plumbing contractor could have prevented a 34-year-old employee's June 2023 fatal fall at a Rome work site by following required safety procedures. A uh, U.S. Department of Labor investigation found. Investigators with the department's OSHA learned that a three-person work crew from a certain company was replacing a sewer line at Ar Armucci High School. They encountered a blockage in a pipe. To clear the blockage near the end, again, this is, again, a sewer in here. So sewers, hydrogen sulfide, because of decaying organic matter. To clear the blockage near the end of the 60-foot-long trench, one worker entered a manhole. Now, you're going to say he's in a trench. What do you need in a trench? Come on, come on. What do you need in a trench? You need, right? So under the trench regulations, you need a competent person. If you say competent person, you are correct. You need a competent person. Try that again. Uh, sound effects are not working here. Okay. You need a competent person. Okay, no class. Okay. All right. You need a confident person. And if, right, with that, now you have a situation where a confident person is supposed to have the authority to assess and analyze everything in there having to do with and with the excavation and have be able and have the ability to take prompt corrective action here. All right. Prompt corrective action in that permit required confined space. There we go with the echoes again. All right. I think we covered We uh, got the class that time. So well, what it comes down to here is this. You have a situation with the per, uh, right, where you need to have a competent person. You also need a competent person for the pipeline. And what happens is with the pipeline, as a permit required confined spaces, you need somebody to enter that. Now, what do you need? You need training. You need air monitoring. You need to know things, right? Now, often with companies, they still think, well, there is no construction permit standard for the confined space entries. 
And guess what? They're wrong. Since 2015, nine years so far, we've had this regulation. And I still get a lot of times with companies, oh, there is no regulation for construction. Well, things have been updated in the last 30 years here. And that, that's just the way it is. You go out here, right? Uh, and uh, right, they encounter the blockage and pipe, clear the blockage. Guy goes into manhole. What do they need? Air monitoring, permit, permit, notifications, training goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. This probably would be a good case study to uh, share with your management, right? Uh, uh, a short time later, the worker fell about 20 feet where they succumbed to injuries as a result of the fall. Subsequently, a subsequent exposure to a high atmospheric, high atmospheric concentration of hydrogen sulfide gas. What were the levels? 1,910 parts per million. I have no idea how they determined that. Uh, other than the fire department used a gas monitor and test here inside the manhole to discover the presence of hydrogen sulfide. Now, this is what my question is. What meter were they using? Because you're way over range with that. And I don't think that's an accurate reading. With that, uh, just out of curiosity, what is the explosive range for HUS? Explosive range of hydrogen sulfide is uh, uh, roughly between 43,000, that's 4.3%, a concentration of 43,045. So they, they weren't in danger of having a... Uh, having a uh, explosion with uh, uh, levels like this, right? Where they where they monitored, but we don't know that unless you monitor it. So what they, uh, OSHA cited employee for a couple of things. Let's check this out again. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty here. Now let's roll on down. Okay, citation one, item one, type of violation serious. A stairway, ladder, ramp, or other safe means of egress was not located in trench excavations that were four feet or more in depth, so as to require no more than 25 feet of ladder, lateral travel for employees. So they're a uh, six-foot deep by 60-foot long trench. The employer exposed employees to fall hazard and that there was no ladder or other safe means of access or egress. Here we have citation one item two type of violation serious employees were that's forty six eighty eight employees were working in excavations in which there was an accumulated water or excavations in water that was accumulating and adequate precautions had not been taken to protect uh, employees against the hazards posed by water accumulation. All right, forty six hundred eighty eight dollars. Citation one item three. Uh, they have to keep. Now, this is something where I disagree with the regulation. The regulation is definitely, in my opinion, is not strict enough. All right. Now, you have an excavation. The uh, So uh, when an excavation is going to be caving in, it, generally speaking, rule of thumb is going to be whatever the depth of the excavation, to, you take that, multiply it by two-thirds or 66%, and that is where the soil will cleave. That is according to what I've read and my experience and the training that I have. Some of you are going to write me and say, no, no, that ain't true. That's a bunch of baloney. Well, okay. Now, in my experience, this is right. So 
what before you have a collapse, the soil cleaves, meaning it you get cracks in it. And so let's say you have a 10-foot deep trench. Now the 10-foot deep trench, you have type C soil, right? And you have to have that. Again, you need a little trading glass. You go back 6.6 feet from the edge. That's where you got to look for the cracks. Now, what the regulation requires is this. A uh, regulation requires two foot of any soil piles have to be uh, two foot or more back. Again, this is where you could get into trouble with that. Citation one, item four, another one. All right. Uh, no inspection. If it was not inspected, you do not have a piece of paperwork. Guess what? You did was not inspected. Citation one, item five, another $4,600. Uh, no one, uh, people not protected from a cave-in. Citation one, item six. Uh, employer did not perform pre-entry testing. Right? As far as atmospheric testing, if they're replacing a sewer line, you need that. Another 4600 bucks. Now, this is when... Citation two, item one. Type of violation, serious. Uh, this is when the employer decided that its employees would enter permit required confined spaces. The employer did not develop and implement a written permit space entry program that complied with 29 CFR 1926-1204.1204 and implemented at the construction site. On July 12, 2023, the employer exposed employees to fall and hydrogen sulfide inhalation hazards and that the employer did not develop and implement a written permit space entry program before employees were allowed to enter a manhole that was approximately 20 feet in depth to clear a blockage in a sewer pipe. Uh, that is the maximum. Uh, then, again, remember, things have updated, right, since this year. Uh, $156,259. So for a grand total of $184,387. Something to think about, folks. Right? Uh, completely unnecessary. And here we have... Oh, and I have sound effects for this one. Let's see if it'll work. Here. Hold on. Okay. Here we have... This is actually one of the original American songs. Turkey in the Straw. Also known uh, by millions of happy children everywhere as played repeatedly on baseball trucks. And they also play this one. A happy Responding to a Madison ice cream plant decided for violating multiple safety standards after federal investigators respond to a report of an ammonia release. Usually this has to do with some type of refrigeration. Responding to a report of workers being exposed to anhydrous ammonia, federal employee, federal investigators that a Madsen ice cream plant lacks sufficient process safety management procedures to control the release of hazardous chemicals. Exposure to anhydrous ammonia used in the refrigeration process can cause respiratory injuries to birds and skin and eyes. Right? Investigators with OSHA noted $145,097 in penalties. So here we have uh, lockout, tagout penalties. Machine guarding, let's see what this is. Do they give us something? Yes, here we have. 
again, very inconsistent here with the way that they put things out. Scrolling down. The guard citation one item one, almost nine grand. The guardrail system around holds. Right? Did not have a self-closing gates that slide or swing away from the opening. Citation one, item two, almost nine grand. The employer did not development develop an emergency action plan for reporting fire or other emergencies. Again, uh, again, I was just talking to a client today. I will be writing one for a client. And along with that goes with an accident management program. Citation one, item three, type of violation serious. The employer did not document that equipment complies to recognized and generally accepted good engineering practices. Right? Uh, so here we have, uh, I love that, REGAGAT. That's the uh, acronym. So uh, they didn't uh, document current ventilation system design, comply with REGAGAT. The employer did not con uh, document that a uh, knockout drum complied with REGAGAT. And the employer did not document the alleyway, also machine room, complied with REGAGAT. Now, uh, they're requiring uh, uh, an abatement certification, right? On that one, they call it out specifically. So, eleven thousand one hundred sixty-two dollars. Now, what does this mean? OSHA cannot write out all of the regulations for every situation you're going to be able to uh, uh, get yourself into. Every work situation. Though so they have a couple of things. One of them is. Uh, the general duty clause, and that's a right. That's a pretty hard thing to prove, right? The general duty clause. With that, we have four conditions. So, what they have are some other stuff in the process safety management standard, nineteen ten one nineteen is the uh, right, documenting uh, and complying with uh, equipment uh, that complies with recognized and generally accepted good engineering practices. So you have to have somebody with an engineering seal in general to go and certify this, right, uh, is basically what it comes down to. That's my understanding. I'm going to stop the share, and then let me double-check that here. It's worth the double-check uh, here. OSHA.gov, and here we'll do a share screen on this one, too, with the regulations. In a minute, hold on. Uh, laws and regulations and general industry and we'll go down to 119 and let's share a screen here so here we have process safety management of uh, highly hazardous chemicals Right, and so, uh, so here we have uh, a process. What, what does that apply? A process which involves a chemical at or above the specified threshold quantities listed in Appendix A, uh, class category one flammable gas, right? And going on where it applies here. So they cited them under, uh, let me bring this back, right? Uh, here we have, oh, here we go, 1910-119-D3. So let's go down to D3. It's information pertaining to the equipment and processes. 
Information pertaining to equipment and processes shall include all of the uh, listed, including, uh, hold on, D3, little two. The employer shall document that equipment applies to recognized and generally accepted good engineering practices. Right here, you click on this and you get standard interpretations. And here we have an ammonia refrigeration system. And uh, right, this is uh, July 7, 2015. This was uh, updated. They went back and they, repla uh, and they uh, replaced, it, replaced it. So uh, again, with that, it doesn't really apply necessarily to this, but what the idea is is what the idea is is that you have to have someone signing off on this with some type of industry standard or something like that and designed uh, criteria. Uh, where, where have I seen this also get into problems uh, here? Well, this you get into problems for whatever reason, you get into problems with uh, painters. Right, and this often happens with with painters with their process, uh, their abrasive blasting pots. You say, "Well, what do you mean?" Well, a lot of these pots are homemade, right? So they'll take a little piece of this one, they'll cannibalize this, they'll manufacture this, they'll fabricate this, and they'll get this. There's one serious situation in South Jersey a number of years ago where a company went out and they created one of these things and did not inspect it. There was no paperwork on it. So I'm told again, this is what I was, I'm told. And they had an issue and somebody got hurt and killed. Uh, and again, no paperwork. So what my painting clients did was they went out and made sure they got all they, and they were complying all along. They said, you know what, Jimmy, let's do this again. And let's revisit this. And we ended up redoing all of this stuff. And make to make sure everything's in there. Again, not exactly the same thing, but everything got inspected, everything, you know, everything in there, right? The other thing is this if you're you void the warranty on a lot of parts if you start doing things by homemade uh stuff or do a field mod by you know uh no Joe Schmo rather than Joe Schmo sir uh registered professional engineer. Citation one item four. The employer did not ensure that PHA recommendations were resolved in a timely manner. The employer did not assure that PHA recommendations were resolved in a timely manner and in that 23 of the 24 PHA findings from the 2018 PHA were not documented as addressed and resolved. So let's see what that is. 1910-119-E5. Uh, uh, And give me a second here. Oh, I start commenting on this stuff. I'm normally not scripted. So what ends up happening is we uh, do the journal indice 119. And this was E5. Right. I'm not, not my world really, process safety management, but uh, so I had to look this up. E5, the employer shall establish a symptom, uh, symptom to promptly address the team's findings and recommendations. 
on here. Uh, so basically, there is a team. Uh, I'm trying to get the acronym here. All right. Uh, process hazard analysis, right? PHA. All right. Process hazard analysis. So periodically, this stuff has to be go out and uh, be inspected. So you're changing something, uh, management of change or something like that. Uh, you have to go in periodically. Here we have 1910-1918-E6. At least every five years after the completion of the initial process hazard analysis, the process hazard has to be updated and revalidated by a team meeting the requirements of a whole bunch of stuff here, right? Workers, engineers, scientists, whatever is appropriate there. Now, what do you have to do? You come up with findings, and then you have to make sure you have closeouts on them. So we did this, we addressed this, we addressed this. We didn't address this for this reason, and you go through the whole thing. So that's every five years. Now, what ends up, now, uh, what's the point to all of this? What, what do they go after? Paperwork. Kind of have to make sure your paperwork's up to date. That's why, no, I was talking to a client today, right? Every January, I make sure all the hazard assessments are done. Every January for all my clients, I put a reminder. And if nothing's been updated, I need an email on it, put it in writing, put it in a file somewhere. Very important that you have proof that you do this stuff. Again, no management of change, nothing updated here when things changed. Citation one, item six, another $11,100, right? And going on and on and on and on. So citation one, item eight, serious, lockout tag out, $11,100. Lockout tag out, another one, 15000 No planning, no training, nothing like that. No procedures, lockout tag out. Machine guarding, another $15,600. And then uh, another one for HASCOM, written hazardous communication. So what do we have here? A grand total, and this is like death by a thousand cuts here, $145,097. This is an issue here for all of us. Why? Again, here we didn't have a report of a injury. Hopefully there wasn't an injury there. I hope so. But we have a situation where people are not doing what they need to do in the workplace, right? It's cheaper. All these things are easily remedied, probably. It's going to cost you a whole hell of a lot less than $147,000, right? And uh, it's just the way it is. So uh, I will hopefully see you next week. We won't have any more stuff hitting the fan here and uh i just wanted to thank everybody for my, your support and hanging in there with us through these trying times here and uh we'll get through it believe me we'll get through it uh and we're gonna get through it better than we were uh before for uh safety wars this is jim Pozel, and we are going to do our outro i'm a little bit rusty here guys uh, we're going to go ahead and do our outro and uh, see you uh, next week.
expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.